to Stock Stories. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. Thanks for listening. In the first episode of the podcast, we talked about fundamentals of what investing is and why it matters, as well as a snippet about who I am and what I hope to accomplish with this podcast. And in episode two, we discuss how the varied asset classes work and what their characteristics are and just kind of combine the whole universe of investments into three distinct categories, which I find very helpful. Hopefully you found it help, very helpful. Um, these are paper assets, real assets, and private businesses. And I would love to invest in all three, but I tend to like paper assets, specifically stocks. So in today's episode, we're going to talk about the specifics behind stocks and why I think they're a great mechanism to compound wealth, as well as a bit of history behind the stock market so we can understand the system that exists today and a little bit about how it works. Because if we want to understand how how things work now, we should at least take a little bit of a look into the past and see how things came to be. So again, I want to talk a little bit about why I like stocks, just a few advantages The first thing is that you can get fractional ownership of a business and not just any business. You can get fractional ownership of a a business that's already proven itself and is doing well. If you were to pick up shares of Hershey right now, you would automatically be a co-owner of one of the best chocolate businesses in the world. Every time that somebody buys a Hershey's bar or a Reese's cup, you would get a small slice of the profits from that. And I think that's really cool how you can participate in that just by the click of a button and automatically be a part owner of an amazing business. So another example of this is Warren Buffett, uh, his Coca-Cola stake through Berkshire Hathaway. So through Berkshire Hathaway, he owns so much Coca-Cola stock that he owns 9.4% of the company, I think at last count. And so for every 12-pack of Coca-Cola cans that you buy, him and other Berkshire Hathaway shareholders are getting over one can's worth of profits. So think about that. Every 12-pack of Coke, one of those cans, over one of those cans actually, is going to Warren Buffett's pocket and all the Berkshire Hathaway shareholders' pockets. That's pretty cool. Um, Another advantage that I like is that the market for stocks, generally speaking, is highly liquid. You can trade in and out if you want to or need to. Um, There's a relatively efficient supply-demand relationship as far as if you want to sell at a quoted price online, you can usually get pretty close to that price if it's a stock that's traded... uh, traded a lot, which most of the major stocks are. So you can buy or sell close to that existing market price on the major American exchanges, as well as many of the other major exchanges around the world. And one of my favorite advantages of stocks is, again, it doesn't require any work once you do it. Once you actually own the piece of the business, you do have to make sure that things are moving along nicely as far as the fundamentals, 
But once you've done that initial research, especially with the massive corporations that we're going to be discussing um, in the next few hundred episodes of this podcast, not much is going to change day to day, month to month, or even year to year. Um, You know, these are established corporations that tend to have certain patterns in their economic characteristics. And so once we study them once, we will have gained a really good amount of knowledge about how things work within that company. And we just need to check up on them. So all this to say that stocks are great because the income you get from them in the form of dividends or the capital gains you get from them in the form of the stock price going up, that's completely passive. Once you make that decision that those shares are in your possession and you get to reap the benefits tomorrow, next year, next decade, you can reap the benefits your whole life potentially and intergenerationally if you pass on those shares to your children, assuming of course that the business and the stock perform at or above your expectations, right? So that's, that's a benefit, major benefit. So another thing is that business ownership in the form of stocks, it grows faster than any other form of publicly traded asset. So I'm comparing this to bonds, gold, the dollar bill, etc. So I got a little bit of data for the total return of stocks as an asset class and so from for the S&P 500. So since 1970, I'm just going to use the most recent um, 40 plus years of data. So from 1970 up to the end of 2017, the stock market or sorry, the S&P 500 has returned 10.53% compounded annually. So on average over that length of time, you made 10% on your money. The average annual return over that period was 14.69%. So in any given year, you may have made an average of 14%, but over long periods of time, that number is lower. Once you kind of smooth out those returns mathematically. So let's go back even further before 1970 and go back to 1925. If you took $1 worth of a dollar and let it sit until 2016 that dollar is now worth guess what it's worth seven cents inflation ate away over the decades of the value of that dollar significantly just totally eroded its value especially once the united states went off of the gold standard um the dollar's value has just eroded so that was what would have happened if you had a dollar in 1926 and had a dollar today or in 2016. Um, if you had one dollar invested in treasury bills, that became a dollar and 53 cents after inflation. Okay, it went up a little bit, but you know, 70 plus years, 80 plus years, that's a long time to wait for you to have an appreciation of just that much, of just 53 cents, what happens if you invested in gold? A lot of people like gold. Um, 
it's it's always been a prized natural resource on this earth ever since ancient times and some people really believe in the value of gold well if you had a dollar's worth of gold back in 1926 how much is it worth now well you did even better you have four dollars and twelve cents worth of gold okay you quadrupled your money and a little bit more but again, this is over a multi-decade long period. So that's maybe okay. What happens though if you invested in bonds, specifically U.S. government bonds? Now, U.S. government bonds are considered some of the safest investments in the world because of the financial strength of the United States historically. So if you invested $1 in U.S. bonds in 1926, how much was it worth in 2016? $9.98. All right, not not so bad. All right, now you're getting into the realm of, of 10xing your money over a multi-decade period. Okay, that's all right. But what about stocks? What if you invested in the S&P 500 in 1926? How much would you have today out of that $1? Well, out of that $1 to the end of 2016, you would have $448 after adjusting for inflation. This is incredible. This crushes the returns of all of those other asset classes. So what what is the lesson from this? We're learning that stocks are pieces of businesses, and when those businesses are productive, collectively, they grow returns exponentially. They grow wealth exponentially. They sell their products and services around the country. They expand globally. People from all around the world are using their products and services. And that money, guess what? It's flowing back to the shareholders. It's flowing back to you when you own that piece of stock. So now let's talk a little bit about the history of the stock market because we want to understand at least a little bit where things are coming from. So let's go back, way back to ancient history. You have um, Hammurabi and recording on clay tablets or stone tablets, interest-bearing loans. So the idea of debt and interest has been around since ancient times. Um, There are people who believe that the ancient Romans were the first to have a stock exchange where um, a certain class of people would do certain things in the temple and they um, they would earn money from that and their share of the profits could be traded between other people. Um, But really the first formal modern stock exchange didn't really come about until the 1600s. And this was when the Dutch East India Company in Amsterdam wanted to issue stock and split up or create shares of their business. So this company was the first company in recorded history to issue stock to shareholders. And this was back in the 1600s. And so fast forward and America becomes colonized and the Dutch play a role in the economic system in the United States. So then Wall Street was born. Now in New York, there was a section in Manhattan that was that had a wall erected. So Wall Street was literally named after where a wall used to be. And 
That is modern day Manhattan, New York. So what would happen is that merchants would gather there and they would trade shares of their companies. And by the early 1700s, that area had grown. Uh, Economic activity was increasing. And then the area became an official market for other types of trading, specifically African slaves and Native American slaves were traded in a market there. Um, So in addition to trading shares of corporations, uh, human beings are being traded too. So near the end of the 18th century, in the year 1792, a bunch of merchants got together and they used to get together by this tree, a buttonwood tree, and they would trade shares of their companies. And they started to realize that it would be more beneficial for everybody involved if they created some sort of formalized structure for their dealings. And so they created this agreement. It's known as the Buttonwood Agreement, named after that tree that they would trade under. And they said that whoever signed that agreement would be part of the group. And if you were part of the group, then you got to pay lower commissions than the going rate at that time in order to exchange the shares of your companies. So that agreement is the birth of the modern day New York Stock Exchange. So that's where the NYSE comes from, is from that original agreement under that tree in the late 1700s. Now in the late 1800s, there was a guy named Charles Dow, and he was noticing that around this time there was a lot of prices in the market. A lot of companies were creating stock. And so he set out to create some sort of tracking mechanism, some sort of index. So he took 11 major stocks at the time, and most of them were railroads. And he started publishing the averages of average prices of these companies as a group. And this was the origin of the Dow Jones Industrial Average, average, which we know today in the American stock market. And so this is like the S&P 500 in a sense that it's considered a major barometer of the U.S. stock exchange. And since then, it's been expanded to over 30 stocks. Um, But that was the origin of that index. There was a guy named Henry Varnum Poor who published a railroad guide with financial info. And then later on, a guy named Luther Lee Blake founded the Standard Statistics Bureau and that covered non-railroad stocks. So the two eventually got bought out, their companies were merged, and then the Standard & Poor's company was born. Now Standard & Poor's started to publish ratings for companies to rate their financial strength, which is incredibly important for their creditworthiness and being able to issue bonds. They also started publishing indices, the most famous of which is, of course, the S&P 500, which exists to this day and is probably the leading indicator of how, quote-unquote, the market in America is doing. So that's the origin of the S&P 500. So all of this was back in the 1700s, 1800s, early 1900s. So what do we have now? Fast forward to the year 2018 when I'm recording this here. And there are dozens of stock exchanges throughout the world, and there's about 20 major ones, and they're in the main large 
economic centers, the large cities across the world. And in the U.S., there are two main ones in New York. They're the NYSE and the NASDAQ index. Um, And so stock markets, they facilitate the trading of different types of securities in a very structured fashion. So, but essentially it's one big auction for pieces of businesses, for debt, for commodities and other securities that derive from those things. So that's part of the reason why stock markets exist. And also, as we mentioned in the first episode with the story that I led in with, if a company is growing and they need to raise capital, they need some sort of mechanism to do that. And so stock markets are places where companies can issue their shares to the public, to other investors. So that is another function of the stock market. They can facilitate that growth of the economy and of the financial markets as well. So currently there are over 45,000 stocks that are traded globally, which of course is a lot. Um, Now in the United States, there are about 15,000 that are traded over the counter meaning that they're not traded on a major exchange, but nonetheless, there are people that want to buy and sell shares of businesses. They just don't do it in in those forums, in those major exchanges. Now, on the major U.S. exchanges, there are actually only 4,000 stocks that are actively traded. And when I first read about this, I was a little bit shocked because I thought, oh, wow, Like I know there are a lot of major companies out there, but for some reason, I always thought there was more than 4,000. I thought there were several, maybe tens of thousands. But really, there are only 4,000 major stocks, and this number has been shown to be declining over the decades. Um, I think it's because of mergers and acquisitions and um, the competitive advantages that the larger companies have over the smaller ones. And if you think about the end game of a company, when you start a company or you see someone starting a company, they're going to try to grow it. They're going to try to um, do the best they can to expand their products and services and their profit. So one of a few things happen, right? So the company, either it dies completely or, and it never sees the light of day again, or uh, it grows and becomes one of those future big companies, or it grows and another big company sees it and says, hey, let's let's merge together, or hey, I want to buy you, and it gets swallowed up as a subsidiary into the other company. So those are the, the end games of a company. I guess either it fails or it succeeds, and when it succeeds, those who are left, who are successful, tend to want to combine with each other and also split off. There are also spinoffs and split offs of companies over time too. So you have this shuffling around of the economic activity. Um, but yeah, so there are about 4,000 actively traded stocks in the United States right now, but much more globally. So that's a quick rundown of the history of stock markets, of how the U.S. market exists within that context, and 
yeah, again, why I like stocks. It's got a lot of it. They've got a lot of advantages. So in the next episode, we're going to talk about what are the major types of stocks? How do we kind of classify them in our minds? And I'm going to be looking at some of Peter Lynch's work, who is uh, one of the greatest mutual fund investors of all time. Um, Well, he still is. He's just retired now. And we're going to look at how do we classify stocks and what are the characteristics of various types of stocks. So until then, this is Stock Stories. presented here on Stock Stories is for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only. You and you alone are responsible for your investment and financial decisions. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, or financial advisor that can analyze your specific situation in the context of your goals and circumstances.